So Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We covered that three weeks ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We covered that two weeks ago. Give us this day our daily bread. That's this week. All right. Who likes this? This is the best bit of the prayer, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Hello, how you doing? It's the best bit. The gimme section. That's a Hebrew word, gimme section of the prayer. I mean, the adoration, the praise, the thanksgiving, the submission, they're all great. But this is the bit most people seem to be interested in, right? Give us this day our daily bread. This is the part where Jesus' prayer actually, where Jesus actually says prayer changes things. You know, it has an effect on our everyday lives, on our real world experience and reality. Prayer changes things. It's not just a a psychological exercise. It's not just meditation and reflection. It actually makes changes in our reality. This is what Jesus says. And this is the reason why I think most people get involved in prayer, isn't it? This is the reason most people start praying, isn't it? Do you think? Yeah. You know, there's some some situation in their lives in which they want God to intervene. There is some supply that is lacking in their lives and they need something. And they come to God to fulfill that need, to change the circumstance. But, 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 notice this line, give us this day our daily bread, it actually turns up in the middle of the prayer. And it's not something you can pray on its own. According to Jesus, it comes halfway through. There's all sorts of statements and ideas and concepts to be dealt with before you get to give us this day our daily bread. Some might say there is a context and there are, some might say, you might, you might use the term, these are instructions that we need to be mindful of before we get to the gimme. Yeah? There are three instructions that I want to draw out of the text, perhaps reminding you of a little bit from the last few weeks of this series. The first, the, the first of these instructions is this, get confident, know his power. The second says, get perspective, know his glory. The third instruction is to get some humility, to get humbled, to get humble, humbled, know the wisdom. And if we can get, we need to get through those three instructions before we can get to the part that says, give us this day our daily bread. So let me begin talking a bit about getting confidence. Okay? So before we get to give us this day our daily bread, we have to get some confidence. We have to go past the bit that says, our Father. Our Father. You have to know who you're actually praying to and the relationship you have with them. 
You are adopted sons and daughters of God. You have the most intimate relationship possible with the creator of the universe. You need to remember that. Never forget that. Because that will give you confidence. And when you come, have that confidence. You don't have to be afraid of going to talk to God. I know, it sounds obvious, right? And, and, and the second thing to remember is God is a good father. In, in James 1.17, uh, he writes, uh, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. The father of heavenly lights. Who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He is a good father. Accessible, dependable, reliable and generous father. Look, I know the word father is somewhat problematic. It always has been. In scripture it talks about the difference between earthly fathers and and our heavenly father. He is a good father in heaven. of, Of the heavens. Not a dodgy one. There are plenty of stories around about dodgy fathers. Who's heard of stories of dodgy fathers? Yeah? Fathers who struggle to express themselves. Fathers who are absent. Fathers who are abusive. Fathers who are bullies. A lot of people have had stories and, sadly, experiences of earthly fathers that aren't that great. And you know what happens? Is when we in church, we start talking about God the Father. People start drawing the same conclusion about God in heaven as they do about their earthly father. They view God in heaven through the lenses of their experiences of father. But I'm here to tell you this morning that he is a good and perfect father. Perfect father. I mean, my father is here today. Hey, Dad. Now, if you go and ask my dad, he will tell you he's a brilliant father. He's right. But he's not as good as God. Truly. God is a good father. The other thing about understanding God as father is an interesting one. Because he feels what we feel. Let me, let me, let me draw this out a little bit. As a parent, right... You, you kind of feel what your children feel, don't you? Do, you? do you? Like, do you? When your children are happy and content, you feel a sense of happiness and contentment, don't you? Yes? And, and when they're feeling sad, you feel sad. You're, you're, as, as human beings, we are tied up in the joys and sorrows of our children. And God is the same with us. (laughs) I know, you know what, there are parents who get a little bit too bound up in the joys of their children, right? And the achievements of their children. Yes? Yeah. Hands up if you're sitting next to... No, don't. (laughs) Some parents start to try and live through their children, don't they? Doing things that, getting their children to do things that they always wanted to do, but didn't have the opportunities, right? And they pushed them, they pushed them. I've got to tell you a story. I, I've wanted to play the piano ever since I was 18 or so. 
And uh, my, my parents did try and get me piano lessons. Um, uh, look, I was really good at throwing tantrums and uh, getting upset. And it, it, it turns out that after a few lessons and a few attempts that my parents made to make me do some home practice, uh, they gave up, which is weak, I say. <laughs> <laughs> my son, from the time that he could almost sit up, has been encouraged to do piano lessons and practice and practice and practice. And I am very proud of his abilities. I am very proud of his achievements. And I take a lot of credit for that. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. It's one thing to recognise that you get joy from your children, but it's another to push them to do what they don't want to do, just so you can get some kind of their joy. So we need to recognise that in a very real sense, on a perfect, complete level, God feels what we feel. He celebrates our joys and He is sorrowful in our grief. Just in the same way we, as parents, are as well. But unlike us, he won't push us to do things we don't want to do, despite how good and fulfilling home practice might be. So when we come to God, we come with confidence. We know he is, a, he is your heavenly father. You need to know that he is there to give you good things and wants to give you good things. You need to know that he feels what you feel both good and bad. And you need to know that he will encourage you to do good things, but he won't push you to do good things. So if you understand that, that's, that's number one. Get that confidence before we come to God and say, give us this day our daily bread. And the second thing we need to do is we need to get some perspective. Our Father, in the heavens... Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We need to have a perspective on the name of God, right? So, um, we read earlier uh, from John 14, 14, where Jesus ends that, that reading with, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, that is pretty cool, right? That is an incredibly liberating, empowering verse. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Okay, so I, I've heard this a lot. And I do find that there are Christians who begin to use the name of Jesus in a particular way. Almost at the end of every prayer. God, 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 please help me to pass this exam. In Jesus' name, Amen. God, please look after Annie, Annie Beryl. In Jesus' name. God, God, please help me to get a second-hand Ferrari. I mean, I'd ask for a new Ferrari, but that's greedy, right? God, please help me get a second-hand Ferrari in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? It's almost like people treat Jesus as a magic word sometimes. It's like 
abracadabra or expelliarmus. It's, it's, it's this word that people just put at the end of a prayer and they think that magically everything's going to be what they want. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. To know the name of God is to know the very essence of the reality of God. To know his personality, to know his character, to know what he knows. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we get perspective. Because we are acknowledging that the very essence of God, his name, is hallowed, is holy, is different to us. We are like God a little bit. Made in the image of God, but we're not God. When we pray, we readjust our perspective on the things we want and the things that we pray for. Before we get to give us this day our daily bread, we need to have the confidence because he is our father, a good father. But we also have to have perspective. It says he actually is God who can see all, who knows all, and we come therefore to the final rule. Instruction, rule, something like that. Get humble. Get humble. Know the wisdom of God. If God is all powerful, how come I haven't got my second hand Ferrari? How come? See, you don't get past give us this daily bread. You don't, you don't get to give us this day our daily bread until you get through our Father, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is not like a genie in a lamp. Can you imagine how many of you were Christians when you were five years old? Sin and remember? Maybe 10 years old. All right, all right, all right. Think about your 10-year-old self, right? What would it be like? What would the world be like if your 10-year-old Christian self prayed to God like a genie in a lamp and you got everything you asked for? What would the world be like? They'd be confused, right? Half the world would be chocolate and the other half would be sugar. I mean, it's just... It's not going to work, right? And the key is here, we need to recognize God is Father, therefore, we are children. We are children. I don't care how long you've lived compared to the billions of years in this existence that God has lived, you're a child. And we acknowledge that by saying, thy will be done. We acknowledge his wisdom. We acknowledge his knowledge. Let's have a look at uh, what Jesus did when Jesus was on earth. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent 
submission. Hang on a second. Right? Jesus prays. He has tears. And he is heard. But he was turned down. His request was denied. He was arrested, tried and crucified. He didn't have his prayer answered. He was the son of God. He knew the name of God more than any other person has ever tried to know. He knew how powerful God is. And he prays the prayer fervently. And the request is denied. Fortunately, the writer of the Hebrews explains in the next few verses. See, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, so that means once it was complete and whole, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God the Father to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so we could talk for a whole day about the name drop, Melchizedek, there. The reference. It's an Old Testament reference. And <coughs> da, 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 da. But what it boils down to is this. Because God said no, the plan has to stay the way it is. All of humanity is saved. Jesus becomes the conduit between humanity and God. The bridge, the interpreter the guide and that <laughs> for my sake was the right thing to do even though it was hard for Jesus to do that's why we sing songs of thanks and praise because it was hard many times we ask for things that aren't right that don't fit into the infinite understanding of time and space and the plan for humanity that God has. And we ask for things that aren't going to fit right. And sometimes God says, no. And this is the irony. We come to God with confidence because we know his power. We come to God with perspective because we can see his glory. But we have to come to God with humility. Thy will be done. Because then we see that he is a father. He is wise. And we are a child. So here's, the, here's how, it's, here's how it's, it, it is. If, you've got, if you're writing notes, here's this. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. All right, do we, do we, let me say it again. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew what God knows in the name of Jesus. If you were in the name of Jesus. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew what God knows. He always answers, though. He always answers. He always responds. He is the perfect So we're going to have a time of prayer this morning. I know there's a lot of things that are going through the minds of people, a lot of struggles and suffering, a lot of joys and a lot of celebrations. I'm going to ask the team to come because we're going to sing a song, Good, Good Father. Now, this song was written by two guys in a, in a life group. 
A small group, less than 20 people meeting in a house. And uh, one of the guys was um, Tony Brown. And we'll come to Tony in a minute. The other guy who wrote the verses is uh, Pat Barrett. He's a young father when he wrote these verses. And he was struck in Scripture by the number of times where Jesus refers to God as Father, Abba, Dad. The intimacy in in that word is incredible and was totally offensive to the people of the time, to the religious leaders of the time. They found that offensive. How dare Jesus assume that he had the right to call God Dad? How dare Jesus presume to have that level of intimacy with God? They didn't understand it. But it's the same intimacy that we are all invited to have. The closest relationship possible. Closer than you can have with any human being. The guy who wrote the, 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 who wrote the courses, Anthony, he uh, never had a father and he says, you know, the The only person he's ever called father is God. So he comes with a different perspective. And he tells the story. They were sitting around a few years before the song became a a thing. They were sitting around in a prayer time, worship time, prayer time. And people were sharing highs and lows and and things like that. And the words just came to him. And as soon as he started singing it, everybody else kind of... It wasn't a sing. It was kind of a mantra kind of a a prayer thing you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am he admits it's grammatically uh, problematic at best but that's the way it came to him so that's why it's stuck and that's the way it is And it became a a thing that spread through the life groups of that particular movement, the house churches. And uh, before it made it to the main central, like this, their main central meeting, it became a song from that. But it was a common thing that they would share and they would use. People would share good news stories, successes and opportunities. People would sing, you're a good, good father. But most powerfully... There were times where people would share failures. They would share difficulties. They would share struggles, disappointments, sickness and cancer and miscarriages and grief. They would pray. They would cry. They would ask. But at the same time, they would be singing, Good, good Father. And I'm loved by you. And you're perfect in all of your ways. I wonder if you would stand with me.